0: Hello everyone and welcome to One shoreport Podcast episode I don't know because I'm in Japan or actually no I'm actually not in Japan anymore uh I think this is coming up on. Uh, I think this this podcast will go up when I'm back in the U.S. um but it'll be pretty soon after I'm back in the U.S. so I want to I want to give myself a little little break time so you're welcome Benjamin of the future <laughs> you don't have to record a podcast as soon as you get back so hey um, so, you know, ongoing with with similar other episodes in this style, uh, basically to avoid talking about anything time-specific, uh, this podcast is going to be more more general about some some of the things, and it's going to be pretty similar to the Final Fantasy 15 podcast, or Final Fantasy podcast I did, where I just kind of jumped through some games. Uh, so you're not going to get a ton of depth here or anything on any particular topic. I just kind of want to, in this case basically cover a little bit of my history with monolith soft and then just give kind of like my general feelings on a lot of these games um it's been a long time since i've I've played a lot of them so in a lot of cases there will probably be uh i will just have like some general feelings about the game versus anything super super specific but uh i'm a big monolith soft fan and that that wasn't always the case though i mean that's true for any developer but but I guess I had some experiences with Monolith Soft earlier than I than I initially realized. Um, um. So I the the first time I really took note of Monolith Soft and who they were were was with a uh, Disaster Day of Crisis um disaster day of crisis was a 2008 wii title and i was a huge fan of the nintendo wii still am but was an incredibly huge nintendo fanboy back then and uh they showed off some early footage of disaster day of crisis for the wii in like 2006 or 2007 and i was like really into it i like my i like my b level nintendo franchises and i thought that game looked really cool and uh and at some point i found out who who was making it which was model soft and i ended up looking up who they were And I found out that, uh, they actually were somebody I had a little bit of experience with. So, so about five years before that or something, uh, when I first moved out to Georgia, my dad gave me a copy of Xeno Saga for $20. Cause probably cause he was like, Oh, this thing kind of looks like anime and it's in a budget. (laughs) like the bargain bin. So I got a uh, greatest hits version of Xeno Saga, I believe. And uh, I did not like it back then. Well, it's not that I didn't like it so much as I was just really terrible at RPGs when I was a kid. Um, I I would get probably about 20 hours in, and this is still true today actually, but I I just realized how this works and I can work around it. Uh, About 20 hours into a game, I get bored and go do something else um and then now i just actually you know make a note to come come back around and play a game again and continue from where it was but back then i would i would get like 20 hours in an rpg and then i'd drop it and then come back again start the game over because like i need to play through all this and then get 20 hours in then drop it again so i had noticed that that was the case and so i i went back and i uh when i after i saw that uh had made that game i was like let me let me check this game out and I and I sat down and I and I really and this was like around like I was talking, I was like sixteen seventeen or something like that and I had just started kind of getting into RPGs again. Um, I had had uh, played Tales of Symphonia and and uh, I believe uh, Skies of Arcadia and Evolution World on the GameCube, and so I was I was I was starting to finish some JRPGs. Um. And so Xenosaga I I sat down and actually spent uh the, a lot of time with it actually. I think I recall putting I think 20 hours into my first playthrough of Xenosaga again once I once I picked it back up <laughs> or something like that. And um yeah, I I ended up really liking it mainly because of the battle system. And this is this is the common thing you'll find with me with with soft games. Like I just love their battle systems in their games. And uh, Saga had a really interesting one where it was like basically there's like this core mechanic where you can kind of like combo attacks, and this shows up in Xeno gears as well. But we'll we'll talk about Xeno gears later. Uh, but you can kind of like choose two attacks, and then it kind of ultimately results in an additional attack depending on what two attacks you take. Uh, did before so it's kind of like a combo system but fairly simple and straightforward but the big thing to that into to my memory is the boost system where basically you'd build with boost and be able to like kind of shove yourself into in, in front of everybody else in the turn order and there's also alongside that boost system like a little roulette in the corner and that little roulette wheel with or not really a roulette wheel but it was like a little ticker that would go and it would like it would change every turn so you'd Go to the next tick, and then so you could you could like boost up and get into positions where you would get like higher critical hit damage and stuff like that. And so so you kind of would want to use your boost to abuse things like that, where you're like, okay, I'm I want this critical hit damage buff, and and I don't want the enemy to use this because the enemy in, in that case will have it. And I I really liked that part of the game. And um, I can't say I I super remember the the rest of the mechanics of the game, but I thought that was was an interesting mechanic. It was fairly simple to use. And, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't really matter that much, but it felt satisfying to, to interact with that mechanic. And it gave you kind of like a purpose and a goal in the, in the combat, uh, beyond just, you know, trying to, to kill an enemy or something like that. Um, so, so from there, I, I kind of jumped back and forth between a few games, um, I went ahead and played uh, Xenosaga Two, I believe. I, the order of this might be out of whack, but but I believe I played Xenosaga Two after that. I was actually super into Xenosaga Two. I really liked the whole like um, uh, combo system in that game, where basically you hit certain parts of the enemy's body parts, and if you hit them in the right combo, it would basically stun them and send them into like a a. a defenseless state and so you can do even more damage and and the problem i think with Xenosaga 2 in a couple of ways is uh the game's just super short it's like less than 20 hours i think and and so you don't really get a ton of time to learn that battle system and then really take make use of it like by the time you're just kind of ramping up and and really learning how to abuse these these mechanics and you know building your characters up the game just kind of ends um, but I do really like the story of you Xenosaga know, too, too a lot. I I seem to recall the uh, the story with like Rubedo and Albedo, which is basically like these three kids that are kind of, I I don't really remember the context of what they are, but in some ways they're kind of like child soldiers to some extent. I seem to recall them being in, engaged in some kind of conflict, uh, and then like their their interactions with each other, and and there's like one particular person in that group, Albedo, who just kind of loses his mind at some point and uh and i really liked that character development in that story and i recall like really liking the character development of ziggy and momo and and then by the time uh by the time that game was done um i felt really good about where those characters had left off so unlike most people i really like xenosaga 2 um it's it's probably it goes back and forth between xenosaga 1 and xenosaga 2 being my favorite i kind of i kind of go back and forth on those um, and then I think after Xenosaga two, I, I took a break from the Xenosaga series, and I went and played uh, the original Botan Kaitos uh, for the GameCube. and And this game kind of took the and it's like it's like every every one of these games kind of like steadily uh, made the the battle system more complicated, but I thought more interesting is is what was happening because like and I think this is a common point across all soft games is that like you get a lot of elements to a battle system but you don't necessarily have to interact with all of them and it's satisfying to to learn them and and make use of them and you get you do get pay you do get a payoff for trying to use it but like the game doesn't really rely on you being like being super efficient with this battle system so you you can kind of make things work out as you need to and i think button kaito's really embodies this because uh basically it's a card game so you 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 spend and it has a lot of downtime cuz this because uh, you build a deck and and then while while you're in battle you basically get handed cards in from your deck into a hand of like i think it's like 6 or 7 cards and each, each of these cards can do different things so they're like you know healing items uh armor for defense pieces uh swords for attacking and things like that and each of these cards have like number number values on them and the number values are not related to stats of the card but it's like related to the order in which you should use these cards so so kind of the intention was you you built up different order so you know you if you did a combo that was like a one card to a two card to a three card um it would it would increase the damage or if you did like double ones and double twos or something like that um it's been a long time so I don't remember if these are the exact combos but this is what my you know brain remembers trying to put together in this game um and it was it was really interesting and 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 what you kind of did because it was a turn-based game you got a little bit of time to sit there and kind of like look at your hand and figure out what you're going to do but as you use these cards another card would just like slide into your hand so it was there was like you know i could see the one two three like combo i'd want to do but then as i'm doing that i'm like oh a four and a five came in so now i could do a one two three four five um, but there's there's like an additional layer on top of this because it's not just count like like just doing a number of cards. Um, there's also this really I don't know if elaborate is the right word, but there is a an interesting elemental system in the game where uh, elemental attacks that are of different elements that counteract each other actually will negate the damage so if you do like 50 damage in fire and then do like 50 damage in water in the same attack turn uh you only do five damage you only do five uh fire damage because the water completely negated out 50 50 of that that fire damage that happened And it's kind of crazy because at the end of every single attack, like a stat screen pops up and lets you know, like what you did during that turn and how, how it calculated the damage values. It's like very much like, Hey, we want you to know how this works. And I think that's super important early on for understanding, uh, you know, how damage works, because if, if, if you just did like a bunch of attacks in a row and then did like three damage, because you know, you offset these elements and the game didn't tell you that would have been like (laughs) incredibly, uh, confusing in my opinion. Um, so yeah, so you had a lot of these different things you have to kind of think about and, and it, 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 it was super satisfying when things were, did work out because I think the the last boss in that game, I, I'm pretty sure I beat him in like two or three turns because I had just an amazing hand once where I did like a, a a like one through nine combo with all the elemental damage that was the boss was weak against or something and it just like destroyed him. <laughs> so I, I think like story wise, Botan Kytos isn't great. There is there's a really interesting twist at the end of the game. Um, but they don't really do anything with it. So, so it's like a, it's like an interesting twist that doesn't really amount to anything, but at the time it was pretty cool. And, um, it's, it's definitely a little more budget than Xenosaga. Saga. Like something I didn't say about Xeno Saga 1 and 2 earlier is that they're like all these cutscenes scenes that Xeno Saga 1 and 2 are like r- handcrafted and and just like painstakingly put together and like like huge chunks of the games are voice acted. There's a ton of, Xeno Saga 1 particularly, a lot of really lengthy cutscene times. And so if you're like re- really into the lore and the characters and stuff, there's a ton of that and it was all presented in a really nice fashion. Even if like the graphical styles of Xenosaga Saga 1 and 2 are kind of debatable, and how how well they or how they look, um, and Botan Kaitos was very much not that. It was very much budget. It's all talking heads on you know character portraits on on dialogue boxes and things like that. And the voice acting was real bad. It, it was recorded like somebody had their head in a box. It, it's it's it was pretty crazy. Um, and I think I think shortly after that, I went ahead and picked up uh, uh, Xenosaga Three, and um, I don't and and this is something I, you probably have heard me talk about before, I don't like Xenosaga 3. Um, I feel like Xenosaga 3 is, has a as both a story and a battle system problem. The battle system problem is that it feels like, you know, I, I think there was a general backlash about Xenosaga 2's battle system that it was too complicated. And again, I sometimes wonder if that's just due to the length of the game because by the time you're really figuring it out, the game's over. Um, in the case of Xenosaga 3, it's a pretty straightforward... Um, battle system, though, I do think they introduced the break mechanic, which actually would become very important later in the other Xeno games, uh, after this. But, um, yeah, the break mechanic in Xenosaga 3, if I recall correctly, is basically you just hit an enemy a certain amount of times. And then once you do, they get like in a, a vulnerable state and you can kind of like knock them in the air. And then you can, um, you can, uh, you know, use skills that do extra damage to an enemy that's in break, um I think the problem was though is like unlike an Exynos Saga 2 where you're like doing a combo to put somebody to break it literally was just like smacking the enemy as much as possible or using skills that increase that break meter and and it just there wasn't a lot of strategy to it it was just kind of there and and it, I I didn't like that part of the game at all and and I I I need to go back and replay it and maybe I'd feel differently today but I just I just couldn't stand it and I and I really was not a fan of Shion's story I she was super whiny and like there's a whole series of events at the end of Xenosaga 3 that I that incredibly frustrated me back then at least it's 10 years ago at this point and like Shion became one of my least favorite characters in all of gaming I I think she's just not an enjoyable character to listen to her, her story arcs and her decision-making is, is really annoying. And I think I have this problem with a lot of times where like, if a character makes decisions that don't necessarily seem like logical, it really bothers me. And I realize in real life, people, people don't always make logical decisions. I (laughs) know some people (laughs) that I, that maybe I uh, like are a testament to that, but, but you know, they, like I, I just Shiona is just uh, the the worst in that regard. Or just like oh, uh, she makes all the worst decisions, and she's incredibly selfish. And and when when it comes to like living up to the consequences of her actions, like everybody basically just ignores what she's done, and it, it, it and it bothered me. It bothered me a lot back then. Again, it's been ten years. Maybe I'm misremembering things, but I I really couldn't stand it. And so Xenosaga three is still to me the the worst monolith soft game ever made and and it's it was incredibly disappointing to me i i i still like think about it back today and just like it it it's just an experience i i i don't i don't value or cherish at all so it's very strange to me to see people who like xenosaga 3 honestly i don't really get it per se but, uh, I would like to someday replay through the Xenosaga series and, and kind of re-explore that and see, refresh my feelings on it and then go and see what other people out in the world feel about Xenosaga 3. So then we get to Kaito's origins and I don't have a ton of strong feelings about Kaito's origins. I really like the character Millie. I remember that much. And, uh, there were some, some interesting th- character developments with like, or not character doll. It's so like voice actors like Gilo, where he has like both a male and a female voice at the same time. I think that was really cool. Uh, and it also has a twist at the end, which, um... You can kind of see coming, but when you get there, the way it's presented is kind of cool. I like it, and it wraps really well in with the first game. It's one of those things where it's like, if you've played the first game, Origins twist ending is just like, oh, okay, kind of thing. And then like there's like an even deeper layer to it where like if you go back and look at some of the final dungeon stuff in that game, you, you kind of make some connections between what they set up in Baton Kaito's Origins. It's a prequel to uh, the to the original Baton Kaito's. So, so they can play with some stuff in some interesting ways, um, but I didn't super love it. And I think this is around the time that I was like thinking, for the first time, I was like, you know, I wish, I wish Monolith Soft just kind of focused on new IPs. Like, I like Xenosaga was fun, and I like the how Xenosaga two built upon that. But um, Botan Kaitos and and it's like how it builds on it into Botan Kaitos Origins. They are very different games from a combat perspective, but I think. I think the core concepts um, being kind of strained into another game type didn't exactly work out in the case of botan Kite's Origins*. Although it is a much faster game, I will say, and 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 I think that's probably why the changes that were made were were done. I think it's a I think it's a, has a an, like a real time battle system versus a turn based one too. Um, but yeah, I just I I just didn't super love Origins, um, and it's a fun game though. I I don't I don't regret it. If you like Boton Kaitos, I, I would recommend going and playing Origins. One thing I didn't mention about this, I'm gonna roll back to Boton Kaitos, and, and and I believe this is in Botan Kaitos Origins as well, is that the dungeon design in in Kaitos is really unique. Every dungeon has a gimmick, and like it's a really fun and neat gimmick. Either it's a visual gimmick or 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 some kind of mechanical gimmick uh you know it, it can be as simple as you know raising and lowering the water levels or something like like there's a dungeon where you just go into the arcade game tower of Dra- draga and you run around and play tower of draga in bon Kaito's form it's it's pretty cool i like it quite a bit so so around this time i can't remember if this was before i played bon Kaito's origins or after uh disaster day of crisis finally came out this was like 2008 or something, and I looked at like how like I waited a while to see if Nintendo America would bring it over, but you know there's all those news stories that were out about how Reggie May had basically decided it was not a game worth bringing over. And and honestly, I'll tell you this today as as someone now from a Nintendo America perspective, bringing over Disaster Day of Crisis would have probably not made them any money. I totally understand. Um, that doesn't mean I don't wish they brought it over anyways but but you know i was i i get it and and i i don't think it was a bad move on reggie's part i think he he was being very smart and uh i will say you know all the anger of me on the internet along with other people was probably slightly unjustified although you know i think i think anybody i think anytime a game gets denied a localization and you're looking forward to the game it's not a happy thing it's like ah dang it and now i gotta now I gotta figure out how I'm gonna get around to playing this. Is somebody gonna fan-translate it? Thankfully, uh Disaster Day of Crisis not only had an English translation, but was originally in English and Japanese, but they actually retranslated the, the game for America, which didn't come out, and then they used the American translation for Europe. It's a weird situation of, of events. <laughs> um, anyways, but um yeah, so I, I got Disaster Day of Crisis, and you know, I was super pumped for this game. I was like, yeah yeah, I was ready for this. I had been played a bunch of monolith soft games up until this point and I was ready for it. And I like disaster day of crisis a lot. I have very fond memories of disaster day of crisis and on paper, I still really like what the game is. I think mechanically it's kind of weak in some regards, but, um, it's, it's cool. It's like a, it's a big variety of motion control things that you do you get to drive cars. You get to, you know, shake the Wii remote to run away from, you know, lava or carry a dog through a hurricane. Uh, you get to fight bears in a forest. There's like a bunch of different weapon types. You can do some really interesting builds of just like single shot guns that do max damage and stuff. It's it's a really fun game and and I think it's 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 worth playing through at least once if you're uh, a fan of on rail shooters and uh and and like variety games in general. I I'm a big fan of variety games. Um and you know. Th- what, what you kind of learn from variety games, though, is that they don't typically have a high level of quality, mainly because they're doing so many different things. They can't really afford to build up a certain thing. Uh, but it also was like a disaster story. And I, I hadn't played, you know, Raw Danger at the time and things like that. So it was like a very a very fresh story for me in terms of games and, like, the character development. And I'm a big fan of Raymond Bryce. He's just, like, I, he's a fun character. I don't know. It's it's kind of, it's, it's got, like, just the nice touch amount of goofiness with, like, you know, being like eating the giant hamburgers to heal and stuff like that. It's, it's, there's a lot of really nice things about disaster day of crisis. And I think, I think the execution is a little weak and I probably feel the same way about like Final Fantasy, uh, the Crystal Chronicles, the Crystal Bears, where it's like, yes, there's a lot of really cool things in this game. But the execution is just weak enough that it's it's really hard to recommend to too many people. But but I think Disaster Day of Crisis is a better game overall than Crystal the Crystal Bears and and holds its experience together in, a, in an interesting way. And, you know, I think all the different natural disasters is a really fun way to add a lot of variety to a game that mostly takes place in, 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 in like military facilities kind of things and and uh you know cities and things like that and it, it gives you an excuse to go through a lot of fun environments there's a lot of really neat boss battles where you're like fighting you know these military soldiers in very creative ways it's not just sitting there and shooting each other to death although shooting is a big part of it but you have like the helicopter battle where you shoot the guy to to knock like the the detonator away from it or shoot the helicopter to blow it up to knock the de- detonator away from his hand and things like that um, and, and the voice acting is great. I love all the voice acting. Um, and, and I enjoy the story someday. We'll, we'll I think we'll do something with Day of crisis. I'm not sure when, but, uh, I, I, I wrote a re- many reviews back in the day and, and I think I'm at the point in, in my life and how I make content where I could, I could make something that I, I feel really good about. About Disaster Day of Crisis, so so even though I didn't super love Disaster Day of Crisis, I do really respect it as a game, and I think it's a great Wii game for what that system was doing. But you know, would I tell everybody to play it? Is kind of another thing. um And and you know, it, it introduced me to this great developer. You know, Disaster Day of Crisis is nothing like any other modelist game, but uh, but it introduced. Me just, introduced me to this great developer who made all these great games and i and i'm just like really i guess i'm really glad i i got interested in that game because it really introduced me to this whole world of rpgs that i really enjoy i think if i didn't end up playing tri games like if i didn't find out about disaster crisis i probably would have just been a really big tri fan that's probably what it would end up being uh i would really like to play more tri games but model soft games have definitely been my focus in terms of like my personal like jrpgs that i follow developers with so anyways so that's kind of like the end of the first arc of that and then from there it's been kind of um you know uh up and down i think um um i i will say this today like still today bon kaitos is my favorite um monolith soft game uh but that doesn't necessarily mean I I didn't like stuff going forward. And Disaster Day of Crisis kind of holds that special spot for me in that developer's history. So so those kind of places are already kind of claimed at this point for me. <laughs> and so I think there I think I'm really waiting for something to to defeat those two games for me. Like you know do do something unexpected like with Disaster Day of Crisis, or or create a new IP to build on top of that. Um and and to some extent, I uh, we almost I almost quite almost got that. Um, uh, you know, at this point, I was very familiar with Monolith Soft, and uh, they announced Monado, beginning of the the new world, and I was really excited. I was like, great, great, a new new Monolith Soft IP. I I am ready for this game, and you know, I I really enjoyed the the first trailers we saw and everything. Um, then they renamed it to be uh Xenoblade, and. You know, at the time, I think I, I th- at the time I think I realized this that like this game had been far enough along in development as a different game that it wasn't going to feel like Xenosaga or something like that. I didn't really expect it to feel like a Xeno game, and and, and thankfully it didn't. And I and I think the, it was important for this game to not be a Xenosaga game for most of its development because Xenosaga one through three had a ton of baggage with it, um, just from a story perspective and the themes they are pursuing and. You know, I think those games kind of I don't know a better way to put it, but like got up their own butt in a lot of ways. And and I think they really need to be kind of brought back down to earth. Make something that is is self contained and and you know, trying to create a new world and, and and they do eventually they do bring in some Xeno Xeno style themes into Xenoblade, uh but it's very light and it's a, in a very controlled way that I think is very is, is a much smarter implementation. Um and you know, I do really enjoy uh Xenoblade and I and I really liked it at the time. Um I think I think blade is probably the best game that Molasov has ever made. But it does, it's not my favorite game, um, and and I think if you're if you're if you're looking to get into the model of Soft's titles, Xenoblade Chronicles One is a great place to start because Bandai Namco comes with a lot of baggage, and Disaster of Crisis isn't quite you know representative of the rest of their library, and Xenoblade Chronicles One is like very playable. Um, I think it has a good good open world design, if you want to even call it that. It's not really open world design as much as a. Um, I guess you call it, like, open area design, possibly, because you can't, like, unlike Xenoblade Chronicles X that would come later, you can't just, like, go directly to the end area without any, like, you know, need or, or, you know, blocking or something blocking your way. It's a linear experience. You kind of get funneled from one area to the next as the story takes you through, and each of those areas open up as, like, little pods of areas, and and then like it narrows back down until you go to the next area and then it opens up as a pot of area again. It reminds me a lot, very much of like Deus Ex to the PC where it's like, yes, it's like this little open environment, but it's only this environment. And, and then you have to exit the area to get to the next environment through like a very specific path or one of a few specific paths. In the case of Xenoblade Chronicles though, it is a very specific path to get from one area to the next. Um, And, and I think that kind of design is very strong because not only can you make it open environment, but you can kind of pack a lot of content in there and, and it keeps the world feeling like very populated and lively. And it, it, it basically, you know, keeps the, keeps the, the scale of things down in a way that I think is manageable. And, uh, it gives you the feeling of exploration, but it doesn't give you the ability to just kind of wander into nothingness so you don't end up in a situation where you're just kind of walking forever and not really finding anything. Um, and I think I think that map design is really strong. And and I think another another point with the map design in Xenoblade Chronicles is that like there is like a very guided path though. Like even though the areas are like kind of poc- like pockets of areas, there are kind of I think expected paths for you to take. And the game kind of draws you through these paths. Either, you know, there's like, oh, here's this waterfall you can climb up to if you want. There's like, you know, enemies and stuff that like kind of lead you up that waterfall. Or you could follow the center path through the area. But like there's there's these very particular paths that they seem to build content around. And um, that's something that I think the later, you know, games as we'll get into lose a little bit. Uh, although I don't know how much deep we'll get into some of these other games because I have done other content about them. Um so yeah, I I, I think Xenoblade Chronicles is a very strong game. The battle system is really good. Uh, it it is a little complicated in regards to some of the uh, like morale stuff, um, but I think generally it's pretty easy to get a hand on. And and each of the characters are, are have a unique play style, which I really like. So each character has you know you have a Ryan as a tank, you have you know Charlotte as the healer, although. Melia is also technically kind of a healer, but I could never figure out how our, how our heals work, but every character has like a unique mechanic and how they work. And so it like really encourages you to kind of like switch between these different characters through the experience to get a, a lot of different mission. I like play a lot of variety. And since there's like six or more characters, I think, you know, I would probably spend, you know, I would say probably about 10 hours on each character at a time. And, and so it just kind of kept things feeling fresh, but within the context of the game, um and and the, and the mechanics you have so and then kind of by you know by the end you can kind of like figure out who you want to play with most of the time if you have a, if you have any favorites or anything like that so I just think it's a really strong game and it's the the one I always recommend and, and hopefully Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition keeps that I I worry a little bit from the story perspective because uh it seems like in my opinion it seems like Xenoblade Chronicles is desperately trying to become a larger overarching story but because the nba chronicles 1 was so like kind of open and shut door uh they're having to make these paths back into the game that didn't exist before which is kind of bothersome and i'm, I'm hoping they're not going to amend that and just kind of make the world more unnecessarily complicated than it should be and then there's like a, a couple of other projects here that are on the side that I, I kind of have mixed feelings on some of them, uh, or on, on one I have mixed feelings on the other one. I really like, uh, the endless frontier, uh, game, the, the original one. So it's super robot Tyson, original generation saga, endless frontier, which is, uh, this is, uh, done alongside band press. I believe the company is, and, um, and it's kind of this interesting, uh, I guess you'd call like side perspective, combo focused uh uh 2D fighting RPG I guess you could say it, it it plays a lot like Namco X Capcom for the PS2 but I haven't played Namco X Capcom so that's just my assumption uh but it's all very focused on like juggling so you like assign different um like attacks to a character and the order of which they they do those attacks and so the whole point of the game is to kind of like attack an enemy and then juggle them in the air while doing things like canceling out of attacks to build uh meter and things like that. Um, and then uh, you typically would do like a special afterwards. So you kind of do these combos, do assists that continue to juggle enemies, switch between characters. So you just never want to let that enemy touch the ground. It's a really interesting battle system that I that I really enjoy. And uh, the story itself is pretty weak, but I think the characters are really strong with uh, Huck and Browning and uh, I think her name's is or something like that. But uh, it's just like really silly and goofy dialogue, very lewd dialogue. <laughs> um, uh, Huck and Browning is mu- very much a womanizer and, uh, and that game is all about the big old boobies and all that stuff. So, so it's a, it's a interesting, fun game, I think. Uh, but it's a little low budget. Um, but I do think it's, there's some like customization to the characters and like the assists are, are really fun to mess with. And I liked that. And the, and the, the story is deep enough that, you know, it, it, it keeps a consistent thread. I would say it's like a solid eight game, 8.0 kind of thing. Uh, but meanwhile, you know, Project X uh, Cross Zone or whatever uh, for the 3DS looks the same on the surface, but it's very different of, uh, you know... Uh, the kind of the nice thing is you have like the ability to choose different attack actions you do. So un- unlike the endless frontier where you basically set up a combo and you just press the a button over and over again to get through that combo. Um, and endless frontier, you had the option to basically switch between different attack types by pressing the D pad in certain directions while also pressing the a button. I believe it's been a little while. Um, but i recall that there's not a lot of customization due to probably the sheer number of characters cuz it's a crossover game and i think there's like probably 60 plus characters something crazy and uh also because of that there's just like too much going on for any relevant story to matter at all so you get a lot of these characters from different franchises that that kind of show up but it, it just kinda, it's just kind of it's kind of meaningless um, because a character will have like a chance to say three lines, but anybody in the, that room could have said the same lines and it wouldn't apply to that character at all. So like, you don't really get any character development. It's just kind of like a, Hey, there's this dude that I like from this game. And it just kind of, it's, it's just kind of very shallow in that regard, but it is nice to be, to see like different scenarios and different, some, some characters do get a little more extra time and, and get like a little sampler of that. So like uh, that the project crossing was the first time I interacted with God eater and, uh, Uh, There's a, there's a Shining Force game, Shining Force X or something like that, that I, that I kind of want to play now because of Project Cross Zone, Zombies Revenge and stuff like that. So I think it's like a great sampler piece for like trying out all these little franchises. But when it comes to like, you know, fan service, unless it's a character that just doesn't show up in any game ever anymore, um, I think it's just very poor in its fan service. So unless you're just desperate to see this character show up in a game that you're, you're, you like, um, I don't think it's, it's, it's really worth the time. And, and, and because of the, like the, the battle system is kind of, well, not really the battle. system. Si- the battle system is generally okay. Minus the customization, not really being there, but the, the map design, cause it's a strategy RPG is incredibly tedious cause there's so many enemies and the game just drags on and on and on. And it just doesn't ever really develop into anything. And there's not a lot of strategy to the game either. So it's just very mindless and it becomes incredibly tedious. It's a very long game too, and to my understanding Project Cross Zone 2 does not do anything to address any of that, which is disappointing to me, Uh, and I never picked up Project Cross Zone because of it, although I might, or Cross Zone 2 because of it, but I might pick up Project Cross Zone 2 uh, in the near future, so. These last two titles I'm not going to spend a ton of time on because I have talked about them before, uh Xenoblade Chronicles X um I I took a long time to really warm up to Xenoblade Chronicles X the the reason being is that I'm not I'm not a fan of open world game design uh except for like the ones I mentioned earlier with like Xenoblade Chronicles having the pocket kind of game design with like you know these very focused paths and stuff like that uh Xenoblade Chronicles X is very much an open world game you can go right to the end of the game if you want um, you know, you'll die, but you can go to the end of the game if you want to. You can go to the final continent. You don't have to wait for any story thing to happen. You just jump in the water and swim to that continent if you really want to. (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, the first 70 hours of that game, I had a really hard time appreciating it. There's only like 10 story missions and the rest of the game is all side content. And there's a ton of these relationship trees you have to build up, which a lot of this stuff is still a part of like the main Xenoblade series, but the game's not reliant on them, whereas Xenoblade Chronicles X is reliant on them. So there's like a ton of like building character relationships, doing tedious quests and things like that. But there are a lot of like interesting side quests. And it feels very much like an MMO game where you feel like if you're interested in this town, you know, you don't necessarily have to go around and do this side quest, but you can do the side quest and really absorb the lore. Um, and the kind of the whole game is about, like, bringing alien races together alongside you. And so you get to learn about all these alien race cultures and things like that and all these side quests and kind of just deal with these small problems that, that you know, display cultural differences between the races and things like that. And, and I really enjoyed that part of the game. And it has a more, um, I don't know what you would call it, like a more like kind of laid back goofy vibe. And I think, I think a lot of MMOs rely on this, like final fantasy 14, world of Warcraft, things like that. Where like, because you're spending so much time in these games doing such like, you know, silly, tedious quests and stuff that the developers recognize are silly. You get a lot more like fun stuff. So, you know, in final fantasy 14, you get a bunch of like, you know, goofy names for quests and like references to pop media and, or pop culture and stuff like that. And so in Xenoblade Chronicles X, you have a mission that's basically almost entirely based off of, uh, what's that very popular movie called oh my gosh people are gonna kill me for not remembering this uh back to the future <laughs> um there's like an entire quest line based off back to the future and things like that and um yeah and it it's just has a very lighthearted feel and I think the the soundtrack is really reflective of that it's just like a really bombastic soundtrack with like a lot of really goofy songs with like really silly vocals and things like that I think the biggest problems that this game has are their major, major UI issues. The game desperately needs some, like, quality of life patches that never came because the game was basically abandoned at the first patch, uh, probably to go work on Xenoblade Chronicles 2, (laughs) um, and, and also, like, uh, it's just, like, it feels unfinished in some ways, like, the multiplayer mode just feels completely undercooked. It seems like they. It really feels like a game that they were working on, and then Nintendo's like, "Hey, you guys, know what? The Wii U's dead. Uh, wrap up what you're doing, and we're gonna start moving over to the Switch thing." It really feels like that. That is how the console kind of worked out, especially with Zelda, uh, being like a primary focus of Monolith Soft kind of after this game. So. So yeah, I like Xenoblade Chronicles X, but uh, in it, it, I will say this: battle system-wise, it's very similar to the original Xenoblade Chronicles mechanically. There are some changes. But, um, it's a little disappointing in how similar it is. Then we have Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which I do have a review on Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So I will link that in the uh, description and at the end of this video as well. But, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I like a lot. Um, it, you know, I complained earlier about, uh, Monolith Soft not doing any new IPs in a long time. And Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is very much a game that relies on Xenoblade Chronicles, but it kind of does something new. So like mechanically, there are a lot of similarities for the like the baseline UI and kind of like the core mechanics of Xenoblade Chronicles. But when you start like it's expanding those out into what the actual mechanics of the game are, it's a vastly different game than Xenoblade Chronicles uh the original Z-Blade Chronicles. And because of that, it feels incredibly unique. Um, but it feels a lot more closer to like a bot Kaitos, where it has some, some obtuse systems that take a lot of time for the player to like, you know, spend a lot of time in menus to really get it to work how they want it to. And, and the game has a lot of very strange decisions from a, a progression standpoint where everything is kind of fighting to get it go against you like there's this whole skill check system but the skill checks require you to make random pulls on 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 blade like these weapons and and as you make these random pulls those pulls have different levels of those skills and where those those blades go go to different like player equipment it's it's just a nightmare mess of complexities, and the game in some ways is like all built in to work with these different weapons. Where like the story is based on these weapons, the quests are based on these weapons, your actual combats based off these weapons, and and it just creates this mess. And I think and I think it came with good intentions because like the original Xenoblade Chronicles is heavily built around the Monado. Everything from the story, the game mechanics, things like that, are all built around this one blade and the the skills this blade has and and the game is just like all centered around this sword and so I think they kind of wanted to do that with the blades in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and it just did not work out and I mentioned it a bit earlier but it does feel like a game that's also scraping to get back into Xenoblade Chronicles they tried to reattach the game to a game to the original Xenoblade Chronicles which is like a like shut door case yet they're like trying to break that door open and saying we want to make a connection between Xenoblade Chronicles and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 but it just doesn't have the space or pipeline to do so because the game closed that stuff off so well in the the initial release and seeing them try to claw back in is you know it's disappointing to me like like, I'm like hey move on you have told this story you don't need to sit there and try to messy up the original story of Xenoblade Chronicles just just leave it alone and and makes Xenoblade Chronicles 2 its own thing yet it, yet it doesn't and and it, it kind of in my opinion greatly hurts the the back half of Xenoblade Chronicles because it gets it gets stuck in Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and and it doesn't need to be there like it doesn't add anything being a part of Xenoblade Chronicles 1's universe it it really just feels like they wanted to build a world but didn't know how and and just got like, but they, you know, the, the, they just, the original Xenoblade Chronicles was just a, a really strong and critically successful title. And, and they desperately wanted to make this a franchise when they didn't build the game to be that way, it feels like. So yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's a little disappointing to me, uh, to see how that game worked out, but I do really like Xenoblade Chronicles too. Um, going forward, I, uh, Monolith Soft did announce a, a new IP, I believe, but they haven't shown anything of it as like a dude standing in a field of a sword or something like that. So we'll see how that turns out. They've also expressed interest in doing more Xenoblade Chronicles and then also Xenoblade Chronicles X, which are kind of two separate series now for them at this point. Um, so, you know, I, I really hope they, they prioritize the new IP in the near future and we see something cool. In terms of my own, like my, what my next tips are with with a uh, monolith soft in general, uh, I never finished Xenoblade Chronicles X. I I lost my save file at some point. So, uh, beginning this year, I'll be I'll be jumping back into Xenoblade Chronicles X and trying to finish that up. So so that is a goal for this year. Obviously, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition comes out this year. I don't know if I'll play that this year, but I will probably buy it. Uh, that that's probably in the plans. Uh, super Robot Tyson Original Generation Saga Endless Frontier X-Seed, the sequel to the original Endless Frontier, uh, last year got a fan translation. So I'm super excited to to check that out finally because I do really like the original Endless Frontier. And you know, as someone who's into, you know, was not a big fan of Project Cross Zone... Uh, it's nice to see that part of the the series start again and hopefully hopefully build upon what what uh, you know endless Frontier did I'm, I'm not expecting any kind of like game changers I'm guess, gonna guess it's a pretty straightforward sequel but I'm, I'm hoping to play through it and and open to enjoy it um, And then as I mentioned with Project Zone 2 I might pick it up but like I don't have a lot of I'm not excited to play project Zone 2 I think it's very 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 low priority on my list of you know, of monolith soft games to, to play at this part. Uh, you may not be aware, but Dragon Ball Z, Attack of the Saiyans on DS actually is a model of soft title, So that's something I'm really going to look into. I don't know how it works mechanically. Uh, it is getting kind of pricey. I mean, being a Dragon Ball Z game, I think alone, uh, you know, adds a value to it. And I don't know if like the popularity of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has, a uh, has made people look at it a bit more. I, I'm wondering if it is a pretty close like like a clone of of endless frontier and project cross zone or something like that but i haven't looked at it in a long time so i actually have no idea how it works mechanically Soma bringer has had a fan translation for a long time and i think this is the game i'm most excited to check out although i think people have said it's kind of an underwhelming game um but yeah this was a new ip pretty early on in the ds's lifespan and uh and I just never got around to getting it. There's a a, a series of hoops you have to drop through to do the do the uh, fan translation. I haven't seen if it runs on a Wii U yet, um, but I I. I'm I'm gonna try it out, um, and and I'm gonna get a physical copy of the game anyways. All these games, all these trans- uh, translated ones, I want to get a physical copy anyways because I prefer to play a game that I own a copy of, basically. So, uh, I, I I think I'll I think that will happen this year too, but we'll we'll see what happens. Xenosaga One and Two on DS. This is a remake of Xenosaga One and Two, but for the DS. <laughs> um, but it's not translated at this point. Um, but I heard it has some interesting mechanics of the game. But because it's in completely in Japanese, I'll probably prioritize the other games first, Soma Bringer and uh, Endless Frontier Exceed and Dragon Ball Z. Um, I think those games are going to take priority uh in the meantime, assuming I even get through all these games. I kind of want to have a focus on Modus games this year, but I don't think I'll play through all these because RPGs are long RPGs and I might get bored of them and might go do something else if I get tired of uh soft games. Um, Namco X Capcom for the PS2 that has a fan translation but I don't really have a way to play uh modified PS2 games at this point so so that's kind of low priority at the moment until I get some, some kind of plan and as somebody who's not a fan of Project Cross Zone I'm not super excited to check it out but you know Endless Frontier has some roots in, in Namco X Capcom too so I'm really hoping that it's more in the Endless Frontier camp and not a Project Cross Zone camp so whew that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. I'm a big fan of Mollassoft. Hopefully, hopefully, if you if you're just like an, and I I shouldn't have said just, but like. If you're a Xenoblade Chronicles fan, I really hope you check out Monolith Soft's other output. Don't be afraid of Disaster Day of Crisis. I realize from a mechanical standpoint, it has nothing to do with any other Monolith Soft game, but I think it's a really unique Wii game, so I would recommend checking that out. But and uh, bon Kaitos is a great game, and if you're if you're okay with some downtime that requires some management of like you know building decks and things like that, I think it's it's it is my favorite Monolith Soft JRPG. That's that's for sure and i think one of their strongest titles but you know from a story perspective it's not as good as uh, some of their other games either oh oh i didn't really talk about xeno gears really but i didn't really like xeno gears that much so <laughs> i don't really have anything to say about it other than i wasn't a big fan <laughs> um, but you know i think a lot of it becomes from uh xeno saga covers a lot of the same themes as xeno gears and xeno gears was very important for its time and revisiting xeno gears like you know in 2012 or whenever it was I think is less impactful than playing it in like 1998. So, so yeah, anyways, thanks for coming. One is the website and uh, yeah, I have, I should be back from Japan now. And so hopefully we'll, we'll get a rollout of some content. That's not just the pre-scheduled stuff sometime soon, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how, how much Japan beat my butt. I'm sure I'll, I'll have a normal podcast though next week. So we'll just talk about some news and stuff uh, and, and go from there. Thank you for your time. I hope you have a great week. Bye.